This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. In 2014, Jason Friedman and his wife hired a night nurse named Jana to help them navigate the first few weeks of being parents. With two full-time jobs and not a clue what they were doing, Jana was a luxury that helped them through the hard parts of parenting a newborn. As a wonderful bonus, Jana was also one of the nicest women they'd ever met and quickly became one of their closest friends. Not only did Jana teach them how to be parents, she miraculously got their newborn baby, Alex, sleeping 12 hours a night by the 10th week. There were no tears, no talks of self-soothing, and no struggles. Jana was gifted at what she did, and they were the beneficiaries. Alex has always been the happiest, fuss-free child, and they believe that that's in large part because she slept so well from an early age. Meanwhile, Jason and his wife were given the gift of rest, a gift that most new parents cannot even fathom. Jana had always planned to write a book so she could give the gift of rest to more families, especially those who couldn't afford her services, but unfortunately, she died too soon. Many of the families that Jana worked with got together and created a foundation. They also got together and worked on a book based on Jana's remarkable method. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about in today's show. And it all starts when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Sometimes I, my parents have to take me to the hospital. Today, one out of 13 children suffer from some form of asthma, accounting for nearly one-third of all emergency room visits. I feel like I'm choking. It's kind of like an elephant is on my chest. A little whistle sound comes out when I breathe. But while your child may suffer from asthma, asthma doesn't have to make your child suffer. There are simple ways you can prevent your child's next attack. To learn more, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Log on to www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many. I feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA, the Ad Council, and this station. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Jason Friedman, who is one of the co-authors of The Dream Feed Method. How We Got Our Babies Sleeping from Dusk Till Dawn by Month Four Without Crying It Out. Jason, thanks for joining us. Uh, I appreciate you having me. So tell us a little bit about Jana. I talked about her in the introduction to the show, but I want to get your, your perspective. You were, you were one of her clients. Yeah, and, and I was one of her friends, and she was uh, one, one of my friends. And um, Jana was a wonderful human being in this world, and what she had was the ability to take care of a young family at a moment when that family needed her most, right, when they were having their first baby. And Jana came into our lives, and she helped us learn how to be parents, and she had this gift she gave us, which I didn't know was unique as it was. She helped our first baby, Alex, sleep uh, from dusk till dawn within the first three months, and she taught us how to do it. And I just thought Jana was going to 
take over the world uh, teaching parents how to do this. And she was one of 14. So she uh, lived her life taking care of kids. And she tragically passed away a, a couple of years after she was with us. And one of the reasons we wrote this book was to honor her memory. Uh, but it was also because Jana felt passionately that moms and dads and babies were struggling more than they had to. And she really wished that they knew some of the things that she had figured out in her career. And so we, we wrote a book to pass on her message. Well, let's talk about some of what that message is. Is there a philosophy? And then we can talk about the, the nuts and bolts of it. But is there an, an overriding philosophy about that, that, that you need to treat babies in a particular way or do certain kinds of things? Or, or how does that work? Yeah, if you're to, to, to sum it all up into a, like a single sentence, Jana believed that babies sleep longer when their bellies are full. And once okay. you get to that, there was a whole bunch of techniques she had and a whole bunch of reasons that babies' bellies aren't as full as they could be. But that, but that was it. There, there wasn't any like real big magic to it. She believed that babies slept longer when their bellies were full. And one of the things that's happened over the last 40 years or so is um, we've, we've become very nervous about giving advice to moms that in any way might uh, in, inhibit how long they're able to successfully breastfeed. And Jana believed that for some women, breastfeeding comes easily, and for some it doesn't, and some have great success with milk supply and some don't. And she was very, very pro-breastfeeding, but she also believed that it, there was nothing wrong with giving a baby a supplemental bottle in addition. And it could be express breast milk or it could be formula. But she was brought up that way, and, and that's how she worked with all of the babies she worked with. And one of the things that it meant was that all of her babies slept longer. And she started to realize that um, most moms don't have as much milk to provide at night as their babies would consume. And so she started recommending uh, bottles to feed. And during the same time that a bunch of moms were being told never introduce a bottle uh, was a time in which uh, other sleep researchers had figured out that babies could learn how to self-soothe and kind of the whole sleep research went down this thread of um, crying it out or not crying it out and for Jana, with all of her babies, crying it out just was never a thing she needed to do. And so she was wondering why everyone was so obsessed with self-soothing. It wasn't even an issue in her babies. So I'll, I'll pause there for a second, but that's kind of the, the thread of how Jana figured out this method. But she was still advocating with, with milk, because I know that when I was a, a baby, and, and certainly this went on for quite a while, there was a push towards getting off of bottles early and starting kids on solid food. I mean, to the extent that it's solid, it's really mush to begin with, but more food food because that apparently would stay, or the theory was it would stay in the stomach longer. It, was, it seemed like it was a similar philosophy. Yeah, and, and, and I generally think that's true. And one of the um, uh, researchers uh, and pediatricians who co-authored the book, Dr. Brian Simon, he's got uh, some research that shows that introducing solids earlier has no maleffect on kids, no maleffect on breastfeeding success, and helps them sleep longer. So he's, he's generally a strong advocate of it. We take the perspective in the book that if you want to be 100% breast milk, we support that. If you as a parent want to be formula, we support that. If you want to introduce solids, we support that. All three are possible. We also take the perspective, by the way, that you can choose to do co-sleeping or room sharing or independent rooms. You can choose... Uh, a whole bunch of different things. The DreamFeed method offers a few pieces of advice, which basically come down to if you take extra steps to ensure that your baby has a full belly at night, 
and you offer dream feeds throughout the night and you focus less on self-soothing and crying and more on just making sure your baby has uh, sustenance in her belly, she's going to sleep longer. And that, that little piece of advice uh, has worked across many different philosophies that various parents hold to. And, and one of the pieces we like both about your podcast and we agree with in our book is uh, this advice is good advice for anyone that wants to take it. And there's nothing any parent can do that's wrong as far as we're concerned if it's working for them. And so we, we, we intend to supplement whatever philosophies they've, they've chosen for themselves and their family. Okay. That I mean, just, I'm trying to to get my head around this because I think it's it contradicts in some ways some of the wisdom that we hear about. You don't need to supplement, you don't need to uh, to do you know, wake up a sleeping baby. So I want to get into some of the details of how this all works. Yeah. Um, t- talk about what a dream feed is. I mean, it sounds I mean, just initially. I think somebody who hadn't heard it would probably think, "Oh, you're you're waking the baby up in the middle of the night to feed." Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll explain a top-up feeding and a dream feed. So the top-up okay. feeding is immediately past that final feeding of the night around the 7 p.m. feeding. You prepare a bottle of either formula or express breast milk, and you, as, as the baby has, has fully fed uh, at the breast, you offer additional milk. And what we found is many moms uh, start to run short of milk at night. And so additional sustenance at that particular moment, you just offer it to the baby, and the baby will take as much as fills her up. Then she's going to sleep a little bit longer than she otherwise would have made it. And let's just say, you know, the baby's a few weeks old and sleeping in general about three hours. Maybe she goes four hours instead of three hours. What a dream feed is, is going back in before the baby wakes up crying, before the baby needs to be settled down, before um, the whole house is woken up, just going in and either with a bottle or at the breast, offer some additional milk while the baby's still sleeping. And the sucking action is physical, and a baby who's hungry will start drinking without really waking up and allow a baby to feed while mostly or all asleep and then put the baby back down. And when we do that, in the middle of the night, the babies simply start sleeping longer periods and don't have this experience of waking up, becoming hysterical, needing to be settled down. And we remove that whole piece of whether you need to teach your baby to learn how to settle themselves down and instead just ensure that the baby is fed throughout the night. And as the baby learns to take more milk in and last longer with it, those periods between feeding start to naturally extend. So one of the things I did with my wife uh, on our second, on our third baby is that 4 a.m. feeding I would do with a bottle. And my wife was pumping. I had expressed breast milk. And I would offer a dream feed to our babies at 4 a.m. And my, my wife would sleep right through it. And the babies, they would also sleep right through it, but they would take three or four ounces of milk. But fast forward an additional month and the, the periods between dream feeds had elongated significantly as the babies were learning to drink more. But so for the first little bit, it's not like the babies are sleeping all the way through the night. You're still getting up. Right. But there's a, there's a particularly powerful piece about the ability to work with your spouse. Having a partner who can do half the nighttime feedings, it is, it's game-changing for a parent. One of the things Jana cared about 
she most most importantly was the safety and health of the baby every single time. But once you satisfy safety and health of the baby, right up there is the health of the mom, and then maybe slightly behind the the, the health of the partner. Um, and as a dad, being able to do one of the feedings at night and let my wife, who had just given birth, sleep six hours, it is just the best thing in the world to offer your partner. And knowing that I can have an intimate moment with my baby at 4 a.m., let my let my wife sleep until 7 a.m. I mean, it it it, it just gives us a role yeah. in, in parenthood that's just so special. It's it's hard to describe how magical that is. And out of the, and additionally, the baby learns how to sleep by themselves without crying. I mean, it's it's really a wonderful thing. Talking to Jason Friedman, who's one of the co-authors of the Dream Feed Method: How We Got Our Babies to Sleep from Dusk Till Dawn. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep talking to Jason. I'm four years old, and I'm the only one in my whole class that can tie his own shoes. My mom took me to the circus for my birthday. Half my friends already went, but now I've gone too. Most kids make fun of me because I still believe in the tooth fairy. But I got five bucks yesterday, I believe. A third of the kids in my eighth grade class drink alcohol regularly. Over 99% of my class has been offered illegal drugs. Half of my college classmates binge drink, abuse drugs, or do both. But the frequent dinners I had with my family have helped make sure I'm not one of them. Go to CasaFamilyDay.org, take the Family Day Pledge, and get tips on how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Have dinner with them often, and you can significantly lower their risk of substance abuse. Dinner makes a difference. A message from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. You must be your fairy godmother. Yes. It doesn't take a fairy godmother to tell you that the right fit means everything. Good heavens, child. You can't go in that. Children under four foot nine need to be in a booster seat because they aren't ready for adult safety belts alone. Many parents miss the important step of booster seats. Maybe you better explain things to him. Booster seats raise your child up so that a safety belt designed for adults will fit and protect them properly. Oh. That does make a difference. Remember that four foot nine is the magic number. And get your little pumpkin there safely <laughs> in a booster seat. Hop in, my dear. Oh, thank you. And like Cinderella, you can live happily ever after. It's like a dream. A wonderful dream come true. For more information, visit boosterseat.gov. This has been a message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Jason Friedman, who's one of the co-authors of The Dream Feed Method, How We Got Our Babies Sleeping from Dusk Till Dawn by Month Four Without Crying It Out. So how long did it take to get for the baby to be sleeping all the way through the night without you having to get up and do those middle-of-the-night feedings? So for us and for most of the, the parents that have, have read the book and have, have worked with either Jana or, or after Jana passed away, um, had, had read the book themselves and did it, somewhere around the third month up until about the fourth month, it, their babies could get to uh, dusk till dawn or about 12 hours. Uh, and that's been, uh, we, we never say it's 100% of the time, every baby's unique, but it's, it's pretty consistent that parents can get there with their babies. And um, 
uh, really it was sometime around the sixth week or so that a, a lot of progress starts being made mm-hmm. and fair, fairly consistently about an hour extra sleep per night. Yeah. Let me, let me actually ask that question in a different way. How, how long was it before you were able to sleep all the way through the night? Or not you personally, but you as a couple, one, one or the both of you sleeping all the way through the night without so, having to get up to do these feedings. So my wife and I started switching off who was responsible for, for any of the feedings at night in the seventh week. And so as of the seventh week, my wife took the night off 100% of the time or what, what took 100% of the night off every other night. And the, the feeding, by the way, that we were doing at that time was a single feeding at 11 p.m. So when, when I was on, it meant that I would either stay up or wake up at 11 p.m., do one feeding, and then our baby would go, would stay asleep effectively and sleep until 7 a.m. So as far as the hangover of, of being sleep-deprived, it ended for both of us before the end of the second month. Wow. And then it, it took another month or two before that 11 p.m. feeding started to go away for the baby completely. Okay. And when you're talking to a lot of other people, and it sounds like there were a lot of other people working on the book and other, other of uh, Jenna's clients that you came in contact with, one of the things that, that you probably know from having more than one child is that their kids are all different, that their their temperaments are different. And some kids are naturally more inclined to sleep through the night than others. Did you find that this method worked regardless of the temperament of the child? I'm going to always be hesitant to say that it's always worked all the time. Right, Um, right. um, But but I'll give you one story. Uh, One of the mothers that's quoted in the book, Emily, she had a preemie a month early, Gaining weight was a big issue. Breastfeeding was very difficult, uh, and the temperament was very tough. And her baby was getting up about five times a night in, around, in and around the seventh week when That's she really brutal. started digging in on the dream feed. And she called me just absolutely in tears, and I said, give it a try. I can't promise you it'll work. And take your pediatrician's advice first. And that is my, my standard way of offering advice reluctantly to friends. Um, usually what I tell friends is all parenting is tough and we're all in together. But if you actually ask for advice, <laughs> I, I, I hand you the book and that's what I say. And so what she did is she started offering the top of bottles and the dream feeds. And what you do when your baby's not sleeping is you just hope that they sleep a little bit longer. And so let's just say that Emily's baby is getting up at 4 a.m. for a feed. If it's a typical strategy, you're hoping, hoping, hoping that your baby doesn't wake up at 4 a.m. and maybe makes it to 4.15 or maybe makes it to 4.30, maybe makes it to 5. The dream feed method actually works in the opposite direction. So what I told Emily is set an alarm, and at 3.45 a.m., since you know your baby's going to be getting up at 4, 3.45 a.m., wake up and go and offer the baby the breast or have your husband do a bottle of express breast milk and help him sleep through that last three hours. And so at 3.45 a.m., one of them would get up and do that feeding. And instead of waking up at 4, the baby would just sleep all the way until 7 a.m. And once that was working for a few days, I said, all right, now try it at 3.30 a.m. and see what happens. And so instead of making it till 7 a.m. the next morning, uh, their son would wake up at about 6.30 
So he was maintaining the same length of sleep period, but it was just moving early. I said, okay, now stick with it for a little while until he gets back to 7 a.m. And that worked for Emily. The feeding became 3.30, then 3.15, then 3, and she just moved ever so consistently, 15 minutes earlier per night, but only every other night or so. And a month later, she was offering that dream feed at 1 a.m., and the baby was sleeping until 7 a.m., and she thought her whole life had changed. And I just said, nothing changes, 10 to 15 minutes a night, and you don't even have to do it every night in a row. And she went from the fussiest, toughest baby ever to 12 hours a night, and it took two months. And that is easy temperament, tough temperament, struggling, gassiness. I've seen that happen so many times now. And the, the, the key is there's not this moment when all the feeding goes away. There's not this moment when supportiveness goes away. It's just 10 minutes a night. Now, I think some pediatricians and some research indicates that people who chase a baby around with a bottle um, are perhaps causing some uh, additional obesity because the kids are not learning how to assess for themselves whether they're full or not because there's a bottle in their mouth and they're, they're expected to drink from it. Do you think that that's a concern? Um, so almost all research, but by the way, usually starts post six months. So I, I, I don't think any research addresses this period. Um, I'm, I'm fairly certain actually. Uh, but, but I will say this, we're talking about a couple of feedings a day, the nighttime feedings, right? What a parent does during the rest of the day. I just say, you do you pick whatever you want to pick, talk to your pediatrician, talk to your friends, talk to your parents and and aunts and uncles, and whatever choices you make during the day are 80% of the feeding your baby receives overall. Sure. And if you do something dramatically different than what we recommend during the day, and and then at night you're still receiving the benefits of the dream feed and that your baby's sleeping, it's probably not going to affect anything else. But all the babies we've seen, we've checked percentiles, we've, we've monitored through pediatricians, there's been so much, and, and we just haven't seen any change. I mean, hmm. once a, even parents that started the dream feed late, a trend on, on uh, percentile growth, head circumference, height, weight, it just doesn't really change. Uh, the okay. babies, when weighed, they take in virtually identical, the same amount of milk in any 24-hour period that they would have. They just take it at slightly different times. They're taking a much bigger feeding at the beginning of the night and a much bigger feeding at the beginning of the morning and all the other feedings stay the same. And that's, uh, that's been very consistent, which right. is what happens when you learn how to sleep longer. You learn to fill your belly up more than you do in other, other feedings. And we, we only have just about a minute left, but I just want to have you address. So you, you mentioned that you're supportive of whether it's breastfeeding or bottle feeding. Um, so, but I'm wondering, would you do a breastfeeding in the middle of the night? Cause that would involve more of a wake up. Uh, so there's a little bit of a letdown that has to happen, but a baby who's hungry, which, you know, in, in the case of Emily, 345, when you, you know that baby was going to wake up at four, that baby's hungry. The baby will start physically suckling and will cause a letdown to occur. And that will work with a bottle or with a breast. And we've done this so many times now, it works just fine. The value of the bottle is that dad can do it. Right. Or any partner. Of 
That's, but, but I don't think there's anything that says it needs to be a bottle. And, and I'll address this since we only have a minute left. There is no research anywhere in the world with any randomly controlled studies that show that using one or two bottles at night causes nipple confusion. None. To the point that um, every time someone's concerned about it, I say it's one or two bottles in the middle of the night, and if ever at 7 a.m. the baby doesn't want the breast, just stop using the bottles. And I've never had someone call back and say it's an issue. Well, as long as breastfeeding is established, and yeah, you're not going to get any nipple yep. confusion and, from that. Yeah. Yep. And r- and right there in the book, we say wait till breastfeeding successful. If that right. takes two weeks. Wait two weeks. If it takes a month, wait a month. But always, always wait for breastfeeding to be successful for the goals that you wanted. And then in the middle of the night, one or two bottles isn't going to change it. Jason Friedman is one of the co-authors of the Dream Feed Method: How We Got Our Babies Sleeping from Dusk Till Dawn. By month four, without crying it out. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. Really interesting. All right. Thank you so much for having me. My mom is a hero. She goes into burning buildings. She finds people inside who need to be saved. And then she helps them get out. Even when she can't breathe or see. Even when she's a little scared. My mom is a firefighter. She does great things. And the best thing she can do is come home. The U.S. Fire Administration, a part of FEMA, reminds you to protect the heroes who protect our lives. Have a smoke alarm on every floor. Test it monthly. Replace the battery yearly. Do your part to get out before firefighters have to come in. The fact is, 60% of all fire deaths occur in a home without a working smoke alarm. The good news is, that's a fact that can change. For more information, visit the U.S. Fire Administration at www.usfa.fema.gov. Working for a fire-safe America. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, the holidays are long past, but I'm thinking of giving my 18-month-old my old iPad. She loves playing with it, and I think she should have her own. My husband disagrees. What do you think? I'd hold off for a while. There's a lot of information out there on technology's effect on children, but very little on toddlers as young as yours. What there is, however, paints a pretty grim picture. Here are some of the arguments in favor and against. Argument number one, in favor. Our kids see us interacting with screens of every kind in our lives. Kids who don't have superior tech skills will be at a disadvantage as they grow up. Here's the counter-argument. Children are being pushed to grow up too quickly. What they need is time to relax, enjoy life, and be a kid. The research is clear. Young children learn everything better by interacting with their parents than they do from a machine. Argument number two. It's only for a few minutes at a time. What harm could there be in that? Here's the counter-argument. Researcher Karen Archer found that 62% of children under one year old and 89% of children under two had been introduced to at least one mobile device. Pediatrician Catherine Birkin and her colleagues found that 20% of kids under 18 months were using handheld devices, an average of 28 minutes per day. They also found that the more time a child spent on a device, the higher the risk of an expressive speech delay meaning that they have trouble using words and language. Argument number three. Although computers and tablets aren't nearly as social as reading, phone and tablet-based apps are far more interactive than television. 
Children as young as a year can use computers to learn shapes, colors, numbers, and opposites, and many apps offer opportunities for creativity without all the mess of finger paints. Here's the counter-argument. First, kids under about two and a half aren't old enough to be able to understand the symbolic nature of what's on the screen. In other words, that the 2D image of a dog is not a real dog. Second, children under about 30 months don't have the physical dexterity to easily manipulate objects on screen. Clicking and applying consistent pressure to drag and drop, for example, is a pretty complicated task for little hands. Third, 2D images don't allow kids to learn about an object's weight, texture, and how it looks from a variety of angles. In addition, dragging and dropping blocks to make a tower on a screen is very different from actually trying to balance blocks on top of each other. Argument number four. Apps are colorful and engaging and kids love them and it keeps them from getting bored. The counter-argument. No child this age should be getting bored. The world and everything in it is new and exciting. App use in moderation shouldn't be a problem. However, too many parents don't supervise their children's mobile device usage or impose adequate time restrictions. As a result, too many kids are spending time on a screen when they should be running around. I think the evidence here is pretty clear. Toddlers and tech don't belong together, at least not for a while. That said, I know a lot of readers disagree. So sometime in the next month or so, we'll talk about how to safely introduce your toddler to tech. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.